you turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm chapter 22. Psalm chapter 22. We're going to look at a psalm this morning that um, some of the words are probably very familiar with us. And then there's other parts of this psalm that we read over and we don't think about that often. And so we'll allow God's word to speak to us this morning. From Psalm chapter 22, I'm going to start at verse 23 and read through to the end of the chapter. God's word says, You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you will I fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations All the rich of the earth will feast and worship, and all who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are our King. And we are here this morning to honor you and glorify you. And we do that as well by looking to your word and looking to what you would have to say through your word to our hearts. So I do ask that your word comes alive again in our lives. That your Holy Spirit speaks to us and guides us in your truth. We thank you, Lord, for speaking to us this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This section of Psalm 22 starts off with the words, You who fear the Lord, praise Him. If we were to fear the Lord, if we were to praise the Lord, then it would make sense for us to understand why. Why should we fear the Lord? Why should we praise the Lord? And the following verses as we go through this psalm will give us those words of why we should fear the Lord, why we should praise the Lord. Um, Probably one of the most famous and remembered words of this psalm actually come from uh, verse 1 of this psalm. Um, We are familiar with the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever heard those words before? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We remember those words because they're one of the seven sayings that Jesus shared while hanging on the cross for our sins and with those words. So they're very familiar for us. So next time you're reading through the New Testament and you come across Jesus saying those words, you know, let the light go on in your head and you say, oh, that's right, that's from Psalm 22. And Jesus is actually quoting scripture when he says those words on the cross. And we're going to come to that a little bit later and come back to that. But as we go through this psalm, 
we need to remember that this is a psalm that describes our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and more specifically describes the work of Jesus on the cross. And so it's one of those, if you have your pen and you like to write in your Bible, write on the margin of your Bible next to Psalm 22, this is about Jesus. And it's a prophecy that talks about Jesus and about what went on in Jesus' life, specifically what went on as Jesus hung on the cross for our sins. This psalm is about Jesus. So I want uh, to stop before we get into this, into this psalm, and I want to speak about fearing the Lord. Here, here becomes the problem. If you are eight years old and I say, fear the Lord, immediately something comes to our head and comes to our thoughts. And even if you're 88 years old and you say, fear the Lord, there's a certain connotation and understanding that comes to our, our minds. And, th- and this is the reason why. Because the way that the world defines the word fear is to be afraid of something. Uh, the dictionary defines fear this way. And this is not the fear that we're talking about, but I want us to understand where we're coming from. Fear is defined as an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. Now, there's an interesting definition. Fear the Lord because I think the Lord is dangerous and somehow is a threat and is going to cause harm. Is that what we're talking about? And that's not the fear of the Lord that the Bible is talking about. So with that, even as a verb is described as um, being afraid of something bad or dangerous or threatening that's going to happen to us. So we're accustomed to hear and fear that way. It's sort of like the fear of the disciples. When the disciples were in the boat and the storms were coming all around them and Jesus comes walking on the water, the Bible tells us the disciples were afraid because they saw Jesus coming and they said, look, a ghost is coming walking on the water to us and this ghost is coming. And so they are afraid because they thought something bad was going to happen. That's not the kind of fear that the Bible is talking about. Depending on your way, your view of... Yeah. Oh no, now the baby's going to cry. <laughs> and that's fear that the speaker would do that again. And so depending on your level of fear, and see, I'll have to step back here because he angled it towards me. Depending on your level of fear, you are afraid that something bad is going to happen, right? We're all going to get woken back up. And so for everybody that sat in the back that was in the middle of their five-minute nap is now awake. (laughs) See, I'm afraid the speaker's going to be loud again and wake me up. That's not the kind of fear that we have for God. We stand in awe of God. We have a reverence from God for God. We understand that God is holy. We understand that God is just. And that's the kind of fear that we have for God, to be in reverence towards Him. This psalm calls, this psalm calls the people of God to stand in awe and reverence of God Himself. We understand that God is awesome. We understand that God is marvelous. And we even sing the words, you are beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words, too wonderful for comprehension, like nothing ever seen or heard. 
Who can grasp your infinite wisdom? Who can fathom the depth of your love? You are beautiful beyond description, majesty enthroned above. And then the course of that song says, And I stand, I stand in awe of you. There's the fear that we're talking about. And so whether we're 8 years old or 88 years old, we need to come to a place in our spiritual walk whenever we read about the fear of the Lord. It's not that all of a sudden when someone starts talking about God that I cower in fear because some lightning bolt is going to, to hit us. We are children of God with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And we stand in awe of Him. God, in all of his majesty, in all of his beauty, in all of his glory, and we hold him in reverence, and we stand with a fear of God, because he's God, and I'm not. And it's not a fear that God's all of a sudden throwing lightning bolts at us. It's a fear that he's perfect. And except for his righteousness and his forgiveness... We're not. And so there's this call for us to come and, and fear those who fear God and praise God, to come together and have an understanding of what it means. And when we're talking about praising God, to come before God with our hearts and our lips and everything about us, all of our, all of our soul and our strength and our mind, everything about us and praising God and glorifying God. And we bring those things together. But then I come back to the question of why. Why should we fear God? And I believe this psalm goes through in the next verses and actually talks to us about why. Why we should fear God. Why we should stand in awe of God. Why we should have reverence for God. We're going to start off and just jump in right at verse 24 and understand that Jesus is, for us, an acceptable sacrifice. And this is where the psalm starts at this point. Where in verse 24, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. Jesus is, for us, an acceptable sacrifice. He is the one who hung on the cross. He is the one who was despised and rejected. People walked by Jesus while he was on the cross. They mocked him. They made fun of him. And when we read verses 24 and 25, and we get this understanding of this acceptable, accepted sacrifice that was there for us. And because of the work of Jesus, again, we stand in awe of him, and we praise him, and we fear him. When Jesus was there for us, he was considered the person who was doomed for destruction He was considered the person who was cursed by the people that are around him. And yet, to God, he was the acceptable sacrifice to forgive us of our sins. So I want to mess with your understanding a little bit about the cross. And here's what I want to mess you up with a little bit. While Jesus was hanging on the cross, and I already talked about Psalm 22, verse 1. Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think pretty much if you are a Christian and you've been in a good, uh, a good Friday service or you've been in an Easter service, you have heard those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I have heard plenty of wonderful sermons trying to explain how God had to turn his eyes away from Jesus because Jesus is taking on the sin of the world. It's a very good explanation, a very simple one. 
Why else would Jesus say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I want to I just mess with your thinking a little bit and for something for you to chew on and to think on a little bit. Would not Jesus have known all of Psalm 22? Not just verse 1. Would not Jesus have understood, for God has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. That God has not despised or disdained the suffering of Jesus. Wouldn't Jesus have understand, understood, verse 24, that God has not hidden his face from Jesus, but has listened to his cry for help? It's an interesting verse of scripture in the same passage that has, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I share that because I'll take this analogy. I was playing with my grandchildren the other day, outside. It's muddy out. And my granddaughter got some mud on her face. I don't know where, I don't know how, but she had, it literally looked like a, a bruise across the top of her eye with mud. Oh, I can't play with you anymore. You're dirty. Oh, no, you got to go get cleaned up. Pap-Pap can't clean with, play with you anymore. you got mud on your face. How cruel, how mean, how unloving would I be if that's the way I reacted to my granddaughter with mud on her face. Not at all. We played, we had fun, and when we came inside, I said, Nana, she has some mud on her face, we've got to clean that up. <laughs> and we think about God turning away from us. And I want us to understand this. When you sin... When you do something that you know is not right in the eyes of God. And the Holy Spirit is convicting you of that sin. Don't look to God and say, oh God, you have deserted me. Don't look to God and say, oh God, you have deserted me. You need to look to God and say, God, you still love me. And he loves us so much that the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and allows us the opportunity to reach out to him and ask for forgiveness. Because when we fear him and we praise him, we know that we have an accepted sacrifice, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, to heal us, to cleanse us, and to make us whole. And Jesus, hanging on the cross, loved by the Father, and loving the Father, he was the sacrifice for sin. But at no point did God ever have to stop loving him. At no point did God have to turn his eye away from him. Because we are told he has accepted the sacrifice of Jesus. That he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. One of the reasons that we fear God and praise God because he was an accepted sacrifice. His death on the cross was not in vain. He was the perfect sacrifice to end all sacrifices. I want to give you Hebrews 9.26. Otherwise Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. One perfect sacrifice doing away with all sacrifices. And we have the joy of praising God. Jesus is our accepted sacrifice. I want to move on to verse 26. He's also an ample satisfaction for us. I like verse 26. 
reminding us the poor will eat and be satisfied and those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. I've been there. I've gone out for dinner. You have gone out for dinner, hopefully at some point too. You go through the menu and you're going through and you find that meal that you know is the perfect meal. The waiter takes your order, goes off to the kitchen, comes back out with this food. It sits in front of you. It looks wonderful. And you eat your meal. And when you're done, the person you're with at dinner says, so how was your meal? Yeah, that was okay. It was okay. You've probably been there. You know, the waiter then comes back out. So how was your meal? Oh, it was wonderful. Lord, forgive me for lying. <laughs> but it was okay. There's a certain disappointment sometimes. There's a certain disappointment sometimes in life. But I know that we have ample satisfaction whenever coming to God. That we are never disappointed when we come to the master's table. That when we come to the foot of the cross and ask for forgiveness, there's never disappointment. Because God is always faithful and always just to forgive us of our sins. I want to give you a couple of verses from Psalm and then one from Matthew. Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Psalm 3, 5. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. Psalm 147, 6. The Lord sustains the humble but casts the wicked to the ground. Psalm 107.9, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Matthew 5.6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If we are hungry for God, if we are thirsty for God, if we desire the forgiveness of God, there will always be ample satisfaction and we will always walk away blessed and filled. We are born with a spiritual void in our lives, and we fill that void with God. In the parable of the lost son, where is the lost son when he comes to his senses? He's living in the pig pen. Living in the pig pen, he was given a job feeding the pigs, and, and he longed. Right? At that point, he even, if I could only eat the, the corn cobs that were left over after the pigs had them, Anything to fill his stomach. And he came to his senses and he remembered. Wait a minute. Back at my father's house. Back at dad's house. Even the servants. Even the servants back at dad's house. Have enough to eat. And a roof over their head. And he comes to his senses and he realized. There is satisfaction in my father's house. And outside of my father's house. I can look all day long and it's just not there. We find our satisfaction in a God who is faithful and just and fulfills our longings and fulfills our desires. And we find that ample satisfaction only when we go to God. And count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Always ample satisfaction whenever we focus on God. Our fear and our praise for God comes to God because of His ample satisfaction in our lives. We have accepted sacrifice, ample satisfaction. I want to keep moving on and go to all-around submission. One of the familiar verses in the Bible, it actually starts in Philippians 2, verse 9, but I think it's verse 10 that's most familiar for us. Therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And here's the verse that we remember. That at the name of Jesus, every knee, 
every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That verse becomes familiar to us that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And there is a day that this will happen and this will occur. There is going to be an all-around submission where at some point all of our knee will bow. Verse 27 and verse 28 of our passage tells us at the ends of the earth, at the ends of the earth, we'll remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For the dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. I don't know if you counted in that passage. But I went through and I counted a couple times over and over. In those three verses we have all the peoples of the earth. All the ends of the earth. We have all the families. That's number two. We have all the rich of the earth. And I believe there's a fourth one in there as well. All. An all around submission. Verse 29 describes the rich of the earth. Why? Why the rich of the earth? I want to tell you. If you have not looked at America lately, and I'm going to focus on America, the United States of America. If you have not looked at us lately, we have everything that we need. We have everything that we need. We are a rich, wealthy nation. Even the poorest, even the poorest person among us is so much further ahead than other places in the world. And we don't even realize it. We don't even realize it. We have everything we need. And with everything we need, do you know what we don't need? We don't need God. We don't need God. Because when you have everything you need, then you don't need God. And so this verse comes to us in the middle of Psalms and says, All the rich of the earth will feast and worship, and all who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Even when you're rich and you can feast and you can have parties and you can enjoy life and you can have anything you want, even when you're in that kind of stature, the day will come when you will fall to your knee and you will bow down and you will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so today we can look at our lives and say, I don't need God. But we don't know what tomorrow brings. And there is all kinds of things in life that are the great equalizer. Have you ever heard of a guy named Steve Jobs? Some of you real, real young ones may not know who Steve Jobs is. But if you got your iPhone, if you got your iPhone, if you're wearing your Apple Watch, if you have your Mac computer, they're all there because of a guy named Steve Jobs who founded Apple Computer while working in his garage one day many, many years ago. Steve Jobs passed away almost 10 years ago. Almost 10 years ago. When Steve Jobs passed away, his net worth was $10 billion. That's with a B, $10 billion. His net worth today, if he would have continued living, 
It's more than that now. It's around $22 billion, what his net worth would be because of Apple Computer. Now, I don't know what Steve Jobs' spirituality was at all. So this is no judgment at all on Steve Jobs. He, he could have been the best Christian that ever lived. I don't, I don't know that. But I do know that Steve Jobs came down with cancer. And I do know that Steve Jobs passed away from his cancer. And what I know is that whether you have $10 billion, whether you have $10 billion, or if you have $10, cancer quite often has the same result. And it doesn't matter if you have $10 billion or if you have 10 See, we look at money and we look at value and we look at those types of things as giving us something in life and God brings the great equalizer in our life. That when this life is over, we will stand before God. And so we either say, yes, God, have your way in my life now or we wait until we stand before him in judgment one day and God says, you can have your way. And he sends us away. There's all around submission. And we get this out of this passage where all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. There will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess, confess that Jesus is Lord. All the ends of the earth, all of the families of nations will bow down before him. An accepted sacrifice and an ample satisfaction with an all around submission and it gives us our abiding salvation. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. What's the theme of Nike? Just do it. I don't want to disappoint Nike, but I can't do it because he has already done it. He has already done it. The work of the cross, Jesus dying for the sins of all mankind, is once and done. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. On the cross, Jesus gave his all so we would have an abiding salvation. On the cross, he shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And this message of the cross would cross all time, would cross all barriers, all geographic barriers, all racial barriers. It's a message for us today. It's a message for future generations to know that it is finished. The work of Jesus Christ, it is done, for he has done it. When Jesus died on the cross and his blood was shed for forgiveness... It just didn't touch an, you know, a handful of ragtag followers of Jesus Christ that we know as the disciples, uh, some guys that were hiding up in an upper room somewhere. This is a message that a couple of weeks later exploded to touching thousands of people. This is a message that was then carried into the nations for everyone to hear and understand the gospel message and come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's a message that we are hearing 2,000 years later and the same gospel message that Jesus Christ came to dwell among us, born of a virgin, died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, sat down at the right hand of the, of the Father, intercedes on our behalf. The gospel message continues. It's an abiding salvation that is not going to end. I don't care what religion in the world you pick outside of Christianity. 
You just pick whichever one you, whichever one you want, and every one of them tells you how to do it. This is how you get to heaven. Do these things and you will get to heaven. Follow these rules and you will get to heaven. And when you come to Christianity, there is no this is how you do it. It's this is done. Jesus Christ died for our sins. It is done. We have abiding salvation. Romans 6.18, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Right here in my notes... In my notes, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Gary didn't call me up to find out if I had that in there. But that's our abiding salvation. He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, nine. That's what we hold on to. He has done it. So what do we do with all of this? We're in the season of Lent, continuing to point forward to Easter coming in a couple weeks at the beginning of April, a little bit more than a month away. We continue to be a people who fear and praise God. Not just today, but every day. A people who are called by God to fear Him and praise Him. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross for our sins as an accepted sacrifice. Why? Because we have ample satisfaction when we go to the cross for forgiveness. It is always there. We're never disappointed at the master's table. Why do we fear and praise him? Because we have an all-around submission that I either bow my knee to God today and accept his forgiveness, or someday in the future, standing before him, I will bow my knee there. And we have an abiding salvation. This message of, of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins... It's not only for today, it's for tomorrow, it's for the next generation, and maybe the generation of that, and however the Lord decides whether he would tarry or not, for all generations to come. And I come back and ask myself the question and ask you as well, is your life about praising God? Do you really stand in awe of God? If you're looking for a reason to praise him, I can't think of four better ones all wrapped up in what Jesus did for us. Today, let's find our answer. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Call out to God for your salvation. Call out to God and say, let me be part of the people that fear you. Be part of the people that praise you. That's what God desires us to be. That's who we are. Let's continue to be it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do stand in awe of you. The work of the cross, we cannot dis diminish, discount, push out of our minds. The work of the cross is there. For your son, Jesus Christ, gave his life as a ransom for many. And each and every one of us are one of the many. So today, Lord, we again commit ourselves to you to be a people who stand in awe of you and praise you because of the work of Jesus on the cross.
And we thank you for that forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, for continuing to hold us in your hand. We thank you for your love that is everlasting for those who choose to follow you. I thank you, Lord, that nothing can separate us from that love. May we find ourselves being a people who fear you and praise you, who worship Jesus, our King. I thank you, Lord, for being with us, for your Holy Spirit's presence resting upon us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I am going to ask Jared to just put on some music to play while we wrap up here. Um, But we do want to have a time of prayer and anointing. Um, So if you do need prayer, anointing this morning for whatever is going on, um, struggles in your life, physical healing, and whatever that may be, I do want to invite you to come up forward and we'll have a time of prayer and, and healing. I'm going to put my mask on so I will be taking the microphone off so I know it'll be a little bit harder to hear, but I do want to encourage you uh, to be able to pray with us and to continue to support those who need prayer this morning. And so I do invite you, if you need prayer this morning, to come forward for, for that. And if there's others that want to join in prayer as well, I'm going to ask, at least I know for the sensitivity of others, that if you are going to join in prayer, that you do wear a mask while you pray for others.